When we first began discussing our topics for our summer services at a recent worship committee meeting, the question of the title of this service was raised. Should the title be Death and Life or Birth? Or should the title be Birth and Death? Which comes first? Which is to follow? Interesting question. I still don't know that I have the answer. But as the question lingered in my mind and I prepared for this service this morning, I found myself wondering what other faith traditions had to say about this subject. And so I began a little research into the beliefs of others. I want to share with you a little of the things that I found. But before I do so, I want you to know that this was a very cursory search. It is summer, after all. And I do not claim to be an expert on the practices of other religions. I know there are some of us among you know those collected today who have way more knowledge about beliefs of other traditions than I do. And so if I get it wrong, please accept my humblest apology. I do have some knowledge of the Christian tradition. Christians do believe in a life after death in a place called heaven. Admittance into this place is dependent upon belief that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And most Christians believe that they will be judged by God at their death. Some believe in purgatory and hell. The Jewish faith also believes that souls of the righteous dead will have eternal life and the souls of the wicked are destroyed at death. Thus, what happens in this life is of importance in the next. Islamic doctrine holds that human existence continues after death of the human body. Muslims believe in both a spiritual and physical resurrection. There is also a direct link between one's conduct in this life and in the rewards or punishment in the next life. For their part, both Hindus and Buddhists accept reincarnation or the belief that the soul of a person is born again in a new body. In the Buddhist tradition, this cycle of death and birth is called samsara. Buddhists also believe that through karma and eventual enlightenment, one can escape the cycle of samsara and achieve an end to suffering or nirvana. Native American beliefs about the afterlife vary greatly from tribe to tribe. Some believe that the soul of the dead passes into a spirit world where they can still communicate with the living at times or through a medicine man or woman. Some tribes believe that the dead become stars or part of the earth, while others believe that the spirits of the dead are reincarnated as new infants in their family or clan. The last group that I looked at was the humanist. They believe we live only once. When we die, 
That is the end of our personal experience here on earth. And in dying, we are as we were before our birth. So what does this mean for us as Unitarian Universalists? I remember the first UU memorial service I attended. The service was truly a celebration of life. The minister spoke of the person's journey and recognized not only their accomplishments, but also their struggles. Worshippers were invited to share stories about the deceased, and I remember feeling it an honor to be there and to celebrate this whole person, not just the good stuff. To recognize that all life is a journey, the path isn't always smooth. To remember and give value to all that created this unique individual. As Unitarian Universalists, our views on death are as varied as the members of our congregations. As it's stated in the Building Your Own Theology series, some among us believe in a mystical kind of immortality, a spiritual existence beyond death. Some believe in a kind of biological immortality, our ashes help nourish the earth. Some believe in an influential immortality, as a stone thrown into a pond can reach the farthest shore. And some of us do not believe in a personal immortality at all, some conscious existence beyond death. If this is the case, then what does it say about the lives that we live. Can reflecting on our own mortality lead us to living the kind of life we would want to be remembered for? Take the story of Alfred Nobel, for example. Nobel was a Swedish chemist who is responsible for the invention of, among other things, dynamite. Nobel was given a rare opportunity to see how he would be remembered after his life. When his brother died in 1888, a Paris newspaper, mistakenly thinking that it was Alfred who had died, published Nobel's obituary by mistake. The headline read, The Merchant of Death is Dead. Nobel realized that this was not how he wanted to be remembered. Shortly after, he established the Nobel Prizes, including the Nobel Peace Prize. If we were to see our obituary printed in the paper tomorrow, what would it say? How would we feel about the legacy we are leaving? My personal experiences with death have been very varied. I was raised in a Christian faith and taught that when we died, if we accepted Christ, we would have eternal life in heaven. Sounded pretty good to me. Who doesn't want eternal life? But as I grew older and my world expanded, 
I began to wonder, what about my friends who are Jewish or Muslim, who also hold truth or hold true to their beliefs? What about my friends who simply don't believe in anything other than the beauty of this life? Were they condemned to live eternally in hell? Who was I to say that my beliefs were right and theirs wrong? What if I had gotten it wrong? And what difference does it make in the here and now? In 1998, a movie came out called What Dreams May Come. It was based on a 1978 book of the same title and starred one of my favorite actors, Robin Williams. The movie was a love story about a man who could not bear to be without his wife, so much so that he descended even into the depths of hell to save her. However, what struck me most about this movie was not the love story. The film also talked about how heaven was something that each of us created from our own imagination, each person having a different version of what that looked like. This idea was intriguing to me. And perhaps it was the beginning of my journey towards Unitarian Universalism. My dad was also very influential in shaping my thoughts about death. He taught me about many things growing up. I learned from him how to change the oil in my 78 Thunderbird. My first car. He taught me how to drive that car. And he taught me how to conduct a really good argument. But he also taught me about living life and preparing for death. Hope for the best, he would say, and prepare for the worst. You see, my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was a year old. He was 26 at the time and his doctors told him he most likely wouldn't live past the age of 35. He was 51 when he died. Proving doctors wrong was one of my dad's favorite pastimes. <laughs> Through those years, I watched as disease stripped him of so many things. His ability to walk, to work outside our home, to, take, to do everyday tasks, that each of us take for granted. However, thankfully, his mental capabilities remained intact. And somehow, he sensed when his life was nearing an end. We had experienced many close calls over the years. Phone calls from my mom saying, come home, but doctors don't think he'll make it much longer. Or nights we spent in the ICU waiting room for fear that if we left, he'd be gone before we returned. When my dad finally passed, he did so at home, suddenly, and without warning. Oh, sure, there were signs. Looking back, we see it now. But at the time, we didn't recognize them. 
Before my dad died, I was married, graduated from college. The debt my parents incurred from that experience was paid, and I was beginning my career as a teacher. My parents had also paid off their mortgage. All of these milestones were, th were things that my dad felt were incredibly important in his life. He also planned and paid for his own funeral. He said that it was his last gift to us. You might think that this is where my dad's story ends, but you don't know my dad. My dad had a stubborn streak a mile long. It is a character trait that many tell me I too possess, and so I do choose to define it as determination instead of stubbornness. Sounds better that way. Before he died, my dad was a quadriplegic. He was confined to a wheelchair and used a system that controlled that he controlled by his mouth to move the chair. Much of our house was wired in the same way. Using a straw of sorts, he could turn off lights, change the channel on the television, and answer the phone. You know, the one that sat on the side, not the cell phone. <laughs> After his death, my mom had the system dismantled. However, she would often find lights on that she knew she had turned off, and vice versa. Often the TV would come on unexpectedly at full volume when no one else was around. After months of these unusual occurrences, she broke down and called an electrician, convinced that there was something wrong in the wiring of the 100-plus-year-old home she lived in. Upon thorough inspection, the electrician concluded that everything was just fine. The wiring in the house was sound. And furthermore, the electrician stated that even if there were an electrical surge, it could turn off things that were on, but not make something come on. That was all. My mom was not the only one who experienced such things in our home. My niece, who at the time of my dad's passing, had not yet been born. When she was a toddler, would often be in a room by herself, giggling and talking. When mom would check on her and ask who she was talking to, she always replied, my friend. Mom assumed that, like many children her age, she had an imaginary friend. At some point during this time, my mom was sorting through photographs, looking for something in particular, and she came across a picture of my dad. She laid it aside and kept looking through the stack. Upon seeing the picture lying on the table, my niece excitedly exclaimed, Nana, that's my friend. I, too, have felt my dad's presence. On a visit to my mom's a few years back, my uncle had a stroke. 
Before he lost consciousness, he somehow made his way to my mom's home. It was late in the evening, and she and I quickly recognized that something was not right and called for an ambulance. Mom followed the ambulance to the hospital, and I stayed behind to put my children and my nieces to bed, five of them in total. Feeling very unsettled, I went to bed myself. That night I woke several times to noises in the house, but when I got up to check, there was nothing there. At one point, I heard what sounded like movement in the house, and the words that came across my mind were, Dad is here. Becoming more awake, I was anxious and unsettled by this thought, and the words crossed my mind again, Dad is here. As the thought worked its way into my consciousness, a sense of calm and peace that I cannot explain came over me. I laid back down, went to sleep, and didn't wake again until morning. So what does this all mean? I don't know. My rational, scientific brain has no explanation for these things. And if they truly occurred, what does it say about life after death? Again, I don't know. I don't know if we are reincarnated time and time again until finally we reach that state of nirvana. I don't know if we move from one place to another, a dimension of heaven or some other sorts. If we create our own version of what heaven looks like out of our imagination, I don't know. I don't know if our energy simply is returned to the universe, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But what I do know is this. Each of us is given an amazing gift, the gift of life, the gift of today. And I believe that whatever comes next will truly be a mystery. It is my hope that I can approach it as I have tried to approach this life, full of wonder and open to all possibilities. Blessed be.